here's the thing. We're going to build the church. We're not going to build the church with nice, pretty, measured out bricks. We're going to build the church with big, rough, rugged, crying, loud bricks. Parents, we know this. Your kids are going to run. We're going to talk to them about running so nobody gets knocked over. Your kids are going to shout. That's okay. I pray that we'd be so loud already that we wouldn't be able to hear them because we'd be worshiping the Lord. Um, but that's okay. We're going to have people come in who don't look like us or sound like us or dress like us. But they need Jesus. We're not going to build the church according to a uniform pattern. We're going to let all people, all ages, all genders, all races come in and be a part of the body of Christ. And that's going to be messy. Some of you might come in and, and might be a little put off by the kids being in here and being loud. I understand that. Okay, I'm asking for you to extend grace. Because these children will grow up and know what it's like to be in church when church is happening. See, we're not just quarantining them. We're not corralling them so they don't bother us. We want them to know about Jesus so that when they get to be 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, they'll know Jesus. You know what one of the saddest things is? Someone who knows Jesus until their teen years and then something happens and it destroys their faith. We don't want that to happen. We want to raise up strong children. When these children become businessmen, when these children go and serve, when these children uh, become pillars in our community, they'd be just that. They'd be people of integrity who love Jesus. And so that means we are going to have to spend ourselves for them in the way of sitting next to them at church, enduring when they yell or enduring when they run, when they do the things that we'd never let them get away with, but we totally would if we were in that circumstance. I just pray that you would extend grace and then pray for those families. For those of you who have been in church for quite a long time, I mean, longer than me, and I'm not calling you old, but come on. Let's just, if you've been in church for a long time, this is a way that you pass on your wisdom to them. Not by being judgmental, not by, not by making comments, but by talking to them. We are going to not build this. I wish I could throw a Jesus bomb. And the whole city would get saved. That's not going to happen. You know what we're going to do? We're going to save Canastota one person at a time. We are. We're going to have smaller congregations. We're going to meet in homes. We're going to do little things like that. And collectively, the Jesus bomb will go off, but it'll be one person at a time. That will mean you have to invest yourself in other people. You have to care about what other people care about. You know one of the things I don't really care about? NASCAR. Anybody here not care about NASCAR? Okay, we're in the minority. I still don't care that much, but you know who my friend is? Dan. You know what Dan likes? NASCAR. So I find out when men, when his favorite uh, driver, what is his name, Casey Kane, something like that? Jeff. Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon. See, even I know not to root for him. <laughs> I used to make fun of Dale Earnhardt Jr., but now he keeps winning, so I, that's not a, I can't make fun of him anymore. I don't, I don't know, but you know what? I care about Dan. You know what? Dan cares about me. He'll bring up stuff about football. He doesn't care about football. You're like, hey, how many home runs did he get the other day? That's a sports joke. Yeah. And I just say 14. That's, no, I'm just kidding. But we care about one another. When I talk to the kids, you know what they tell me? They tell me stuff. I had a Charizard card, and it's worth that blah, blah. 
That's Pokemon. Anybody here know anything about Pokemon? Me neither. But I want to know about the kids. Now, see, with my son, it's easy. He likes Legos, and I, I get down with Legos. And we know about Legos. But other kids are kind of be like, I got this, Pastor Tony. What am I going to say? I don't care about that. I'm sorry. I don't care about your angry bird. Like, am I? No. That's a, that's a one-way road to jerky pastor. Oh, what, what's his name? Whatever. He's red, and he, you throw him, and he knocks down the pigs. Awesome. If you guys know what Angry Birds is, that's, that's awesome. See, you're going to have to learn. See, this is all about, this is what being the church is all about. This is what, it's, this is what it means to become a family. See, we do this with family, and that's, that makes sense to us. And then we get to church, and we just want everybody to be like us. It doesn't work like that. If I came in here expecting you all to be like me, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> I don't need 50 other people just like me. I need 50 other people who love the Lord and want to serve the Lord. That's, that's, that's what we need. So let this be a prerequisite to today's message. Go from being consumer Christian to producer Christian, to being a disciple. For those of you who are, I'll just say, older than me, you have wisdom to pass down. For those of you who are my age, we're still learning. We're still getting steam. We're still, we're, you know, guys, we are working to bring the gospel back to this area. For those of you younger than me, and there's only a couple, even a lot of them are out there, we want them to have, to be running by the time they get to my age. We want them to be men and women of Christ who have been through trials and have withstood and held on to the gospel of Jesus when the whole world has come out from underneath them. Because it will, right? Because at some point, something's going to happen to them. And we pray against it, and we don't wish that upon them. But how many of you here have made it as far as you have unscathed? None of you. All of you have scars everywhere. Paul puts it like this at the end of the book of Galatians. His body bears the marks of Jesus because he endured trial and suffering. But he endured them glorifying Jesus. He endured them and persevered with Jesus' name on his lips. And that's what we have to show them. If they see mom and dad, grandma and grandpa running around crazy because they don't know who's going to pay the rent. Don't know where that came from. They don't pay the rent. They're, they're not going to make it. Guess what? They'll grow up and do the same thing. If they see mom and dad running to Jesus, though, if they see mom and dad on their knees, if they see mom and dad bringing them in, kids, we got to pray for this. Grandpa's having heart testing. Grandma's going through this. This person's going through that. Miriam got arrested again. She's back out again. But she got Miriam in the Sudan was arrested again. We're going to pray for Pastor Saeed is still behind bars. We're going to pray for him. And you say, they learned something about Jesus in that. And I don't want any of you to discount yourself. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. No, you're part of the body of Christ with something to do. And some of you, I know you, you tell me, I wish I could do more, but I just stay and I just pray all day. That's awesome. Do you know how many days I wish I had where I could just sit and pray? I don't. But you know what I'm so thankful for? For those of you who have that opportunity and take and, and, and capitalize upon it. And you sit in your chairs or you sit in your bed and you just pray for me and my family in this church. We need that. Don't discount that. That is vital. Church. 
This is the most important matter. Who wins the next election? It'll change the landscape for things, but it doesn't change eternity. Souls being one does. Whether we dress in suits or pants or ties or shirts, whatever, is not, it has no eternal value. Knowing Jesus does. So that being said, open your books, your Bibles, which you should have brought. Okay? To Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. FYI, I only got 23 minutes to preach last week. So I feel like I banked like 37 minutes of time. So I have roughly an hour and a half today. Perfect. Who said perfect? Roger, you're my new best friend. All right. There's a story in the book of Acts where Paul is preaching for a long time. Somebody falls out the window and dies. Paul goes outside, prays for them. They come back to life, and he makes them go back to the Bible study. That's church, my friend. Like You don't even get a day off for dying. Paul's like, get back up there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Oh, it's up here. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let us pray. Jesus. This is your word, and it is the only thing that matters today. All the things that I will say, all the non-funny jokes I might share or whatever, Lord, the illustrations, all those come a distant second to the truth of your gospel. And I'm praying that your gospel will return in this place beyond revival, beyond awakening, beyond encountering, Lord, that this place would be revolutionized by each individual person who takes hold of the gospel and never lets go. And I pray today that that would become more clear today in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The law is one of the greatest stumbling blocks for all of the world, especially Christianity. If you watch the media, if you watch the news, if you go on the internet, if you read the newspaper, anything religious that comes up, you will often have this happening. Folks who are accusing others of taking scriptures out of context, justifying their points by taking other scriptures out of context. Taking the law, reading it one line at a time and saying, look, this is wrong, that is wrong, this is right, that is right. Completely missing the point of the law. Is there things that God wants you to do and things he does not want you to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone was asking me recently about homosexuality and asking me what I, how I felt about that. And I said, I'd be hard-pressed to read the Bible and find a way to, to say that God approves of it, that God is okay with it. And I would be as hard-pressed to say he's okay with any other sin as well. That any sin that we find that God has spoken against, to say that now God approves of it. 
James, the little brother of Jesus in the book that he wrote, says it like this. Even if there's things you ought to do but don't do them, that is sin. Let's keep sin, sin. Let's not let the culture determine what we are going to say is right or wrong. Let's let the Bible do that. Let's not allow the consensus to control what we approve. Let's let the Bible control what we approve. Let us abide by it. My son had this question for me. He saw a picture of two men who were getting married. And rather than jump on a soapbox and try to save my son, and, oh no, he saw something. I said, what do you think about that? See, every moment's a teaching moment. Every moment's a time to engage in conversation. He shared with me how he felt. I said, are we supposed to love those people? Yes. Are those people who deserve to be made fun of or poked fun at or treated differently? No, of course not. Are we still going to love and serve them? Yes. I know plenty of people, plenty of people who are in sin, and I still love them, and I still take opportunities to serve them, and I don't think of myself as better than them. I don't think of myself as having... uh, You know what I think of myself as? And I said this last week. I tell them the gospel in a way that is like someone yelling at somebody in a burning burning building. Please get out of the burning building. You have an escape route. Please come down the fire escape. Come out of there. There's no reason to stay in the burning building. You're going to die. Please come be safe with us. And and and, And I remember that I was in that building as well. And that by the grace of God, I was saved from that fiery building called sin, Satan, and death, and eternal damnation. I, I, there's no problem. I have no problem telling somebody that they might end up in hell. I just have no business saying it like I'm enjoying it. Does that make sense? I can't tell them, you're going to hell and have a smile on my face. But I can warn them, please, there's no reason. God has... has has made way between you and him to be reconciled. The problem is when it comes to the reconciliation part, folks go, okay, the Bible's a book of rules and laws, and if I follow those rules and laws, then I'll be okay. Then I'll make it. Show me where all the rules are. You go to the Old Testament. You go to the the first five books of the Bible. There's a lot of law. Over 600, close to 650 different laws that God gave to the Jewish people through Moses to separate themselves from the world to then one day produce the risen Savior known as Jesus Christ. These laws reveal to us the nature of God, who he is, what he loves, what he doesn't love. There are laws that have come to an end because Jesus is the fulfillment and the culmination of those laws, things like sacrificial laws. We no longer come on a Sunday morning and sacrifice a lamb. Praise God for that. Certain bugs are a little bit too big. I won't crush them. I can't imagine having to kill a lamb every Sunday. My gosh, I would have rethought my vocation at that point. But certain sacrificial laws, they find their fulfillment in Jesus. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He is the lamb who was sacrificed. He is the lamb who shed his blood so that we might be saved, that the angel of death might pass over us. He is the great Passover lamb. And so what Paul is pointing out to the Galatians is that, look, Jesus came and saved you from the law. Because what the law does, the law damns us. 
We don't read the law to say, okay, I do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. The law shows us, oh man, I've done this, I've done that. That was wrong, I didn't even know. Somebody should have sent me a memo. Oh man, I'm in trouble, I need a savior. Enter in Jesus, your savior, the one who did, the only one who fulfilled the law. You ever have folks tell you, well, they're good Christian people. No, no, Jesus is the only good one. He's the one that we look to. There might be, quote unquote, good Christian people, and I love them and serve them, but they're not the model. They're not the example. Jesus is. Let Jesus continuously be your model. You know why? Because even the good Christian people at some point are going to fall down, and everything you've built up around them is going to crumble as well. And you're going to struggle with giving them grace because they were the good Christian people. The bad Christian people, you'll have no problem with. Oh, I expected that from you. You went back to the drugs and drinking. Well, that's where you were. I expected that. Very judgmental. We're not going to get into that. But the good Christians, we've the ones who made them good. And so we find ourselves in trouble when we, quote unquote, worship them in that way. There's one we should worship. That is Jesus. There's one we give ourselves to in that way. That is Jesus. I, I hope to one day, I, I want to serve South Bay Chapel for as many years as the Lord will allow me to. I want to be here forever, okay? The last thing I want, though, is for people to come in because Pastor Tony's there. I don't want that. Because people get hurt when people have to go and leave and serve other places, and that's not happening. What I'm saying is, is I want people so fixated on Jesus that should I disappear, nobody would notice. Because everybody would say, hallelujah, Jesus, we love him. And now there's somebody else up there yelling about Jesus. And he won't wear a tie. He still loves Jesus, though. That's what we want. He doesn't look like me. He doesn't sound like me. He sure enough doesn't smell like me. But he loves Jesus. And he's telling me the gospel of Jesus. And he's teaching me. And he's showing me where the green grass is and the still waters are. And I'm growing and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can't become that through the law because Paul says it comes through faith. And the law is not faith. See, the law is a transaction. The law is I do this, you do that. Paul points back to a man named Abraham. And if you weren't here on Wednesday, we learned a lot about Abraham. Okay, once again, we don't worship Abraham. He's not a super person or a superman. He's a man that God chose. He was a pagan man who God called out of a pagan land. He was an idol worshiper. His dad was an idol maker. And God meets him one day. This Jehovah God, this Yahweh God comes to him and says, leave your dad's house, leave your dad's land, go to a land I will show you. That's faith. How many of you, if God showed up today, first of all, you'd be freaked out. You'd probably die. But if he showed up today and said, said, church, leave. First response from me, where? A land I will show you. Oh, come on. You can't even give me a west, east, north, whatever. You can't even give me a GPS. Give me something to a land I will show you. That's how he shows up to Abraham. That's. This God, Abraham didn't grow up knowing about Yahweh. He didn't grow up in church with flannel graphs and good teachers like we have. He was just some guy that God chose. Said, hey, you, go. 
It says that Abraham responded in faith. That means God spoke and Abraham said, okay. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. Church, your righteousness, your right standing before God has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with your faith. Well, I gave X amount of dollars in tithing. But where is your faith? Well, I attended church every day since I was seven years old. But where is your faith? Yes, you have good works. Praise God for that. But where is your faith? Well, my faith is in my works. You're done. You're done. And the Galatians are trying to go back to that. Okay, oh, we heard the gospel of Jesus, but now some guys have come in and said, well, you also have to be circumcised. Every time I read that, I think, man, they must have been great salesmen to come in and say, you've got to be circumcised. And the men just lined up. Okay. It seems like right then somebody remember, hey, didn't Paul say something about it just being about faith? Shut up and get in line. I would be contesting profoundly. Like, we're going to do something else. We're going to go somewhere else on Sunday. Bringing up Old Testament laws that have to be fulfilled so God approves you and loves you. Here's the, the bottom line, church. Your love, the love that God has for you has nothing to do with what you have done. I butchered that pretty good. Let me put it again this way. God's love for you is not contingent upon your actions. I gave a lot. Okay, now God loves me. No. We switch it around. Oh, God loves me. I want to give a lot. God loves me. I want to serve a lot. God loves me. I want to go here or go there and preach here and preach there and learn this and read my Bible and pray and serve and go back there with the kids and teach them about Jesus and go out into the streets and tell people about Jesus because God loves me. Saw a woman over the weekend in front of a Roman Catholic church in front of a statue of the Virgin Mary pleading with a statue why? Because that's the human nature's response to deity. There certainly must be a holy place and a holy statue and a holy man and a holy manner in which I approach God. And the Bible and Paul and the Holy Spirit continuously tell us it is by faith. Some of you will come to me and ask me for prayer. And I encourage you to do that. This is not a discouragement. But I want your faith to be in the God we're praying to. Not that you prayed at South Bay Chapel. Not that you prayed with Pastor Tony. Not that you prayed on a Sunday and now God has to fulfill your wishes. It doesn't work like that. God's not a genie in a bottle. You rub the bottle the right way and then the genie pops out and grants you your three wishes. Okay, God, I said my prayer, gave my tithe and attended church. You got to pop out and now make everything happen the way I want it to. No. That's not how it works. God is sovereign over all things. And even when things don't go your way to the tune of things like cancer and death and the tune of things like bankruptcy and job loss, God is still God over those things. Sin, in essence, must take advantage of someone else. In the garden, sin took advantage of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve took advantage of God. Sin always victimizes somebody else. And even if you do the sin in private, it's still victimizing somebody. It's making a victim of somebody. If you're addicted to pornography, you're the victim and your spouse is the victim or your children are the victim. If, you, if you're an alcoholic, 
You might be destroying your liver, but you're destroying your family as well. Do you see how your sin is, is taking, it's having effect on other people as well? Let's just keep sin bad, Jesus good. Let's just do Frankenstein ministry. Sin bad, Jesus good. It's that simple. You need Jesus. I've met a lot of you. You guys can pull that off. I don't know about that much more. We'll do a couple more Bible studies together and we'll get it a little more cleared up, but that we can pull off. Because the Bible says those who are under the law are cursed. Ever had anybody ever tell you you were cursed? I never have. But if they did, well, at this stage in life, I just say, you know, I don't care. But I could see how some people would be like, oh, I'm cursed. Oh, I've got to go to the Vatican and get this rectified. I'm cursed. Oh, my gosh, I'm cursed. The Bible says that those who go under the law, that means the law is over you and you are under it, that you are cursed. But here's the good news. Jesus became the curse for you. You don't have to be there. You don't have to be underneath that condemnation and death. You don't have to be underneath the law that condemns you to hell. You could be under the the Lord and Savior who has saved you from it. There are those who complain that certainly God can't be a God of wrath. He's a God of grace and mercy. What they don't understand is that to be a God of grace and mercy, he first has to have the wrath. Otherwise, what is he being merciful for? You see, God's grace and mercy is not just saving you from sin, Satan, and death. It's saving you from his just wrath. You see, if at the end of this age, if you have not confessed your faith in Jesus, you suffer with Satan, but you suffer the wrath of God. You read the book of Revelation where the doors are shut and there are people outside and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus says. They are suffering the wrath of God, a just God. I pray that today, if you have not taken advantage of this offer from God, that you would reach out to him who already has his hand reached out to you in the form of Jesus. Because Jesus has become the curse. See, God didn't just wink his eye and say, okay, everybody's getting into heaven. I said a bunch of stuff, but you know me, I just, I gotta love everybody. No, God's wrath still has to be satisfied. That's what the cross is all about. The cross satisfies God's righteous wrath. And for those who are in Christ, to use the verbiage of of Galatians and and Romans and and a lot of other letters that Paul wrote, to be in Christ means that the condemnation's gone. See, many of you don't realize that burden that, that, that I'm feeling, that others are feeling in this house today, has a lot to do with religious burden. I got to keep performing. I got to keep doing. I got to keep, I got to keep this up or or I'm going to slip up and then the hammer's going to drop and God's going to hate me and he won't be happy with me anymore. Not realizing that that doesn't even hang over your head anymore because you're found in Christ and you can still serve and you can still love and you can still give, but you do it from a joyous heart. Some of you don't understand. How can I give from a joyous heart when I feel like God's always going to be mad at me? That's the problem. God loved you enough to send his son to die in your place. You can't be loved more than that. But God won't give me my pony. Insert pony anything that you want. God won't give me this. He must not love me. No. God gave you his son. 
If now you are holding his love contingent upon the things you receive in your hand, then you're a bad kid. Wouldn't you say that to your own children? Daddy, I love you when you give me stuff. Most of us would say to our kids, oh no, we're raising a spoiled kid. But then we grow up and become Christians and we do the same thing to God the Father and expect him to do whatever we want. Doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't make any sense. So we respond in faith. Here's a mega, ultra, super big theme of the Bible. We have been redeemed. That means that God has paid and satisfied the price for our heads. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in chapter 7, it says that we were bought with a price. We weren't just, we, God didn't just lift up the rope and let us in. God had to die so the rope could be moved. He didn't just tear the veil so that we can walk into the Holy of Holies. He had to die. His body had to be broken. His, the veil that he is had to be torn in two so that we may enter in. God has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse. Think about that for just a moment. Put yourself in a place where you see someone who deserves nothing. And you don't just give to them stuff, you give to them yourself. You approach them and say, I will give you this life that I have. See the life you have? No good. Let me give you mine. Now we can't do that as people, but God has done that as God. He sends his son to give us his life. He says, I come to give life and life more abundant because the life he has is better than the life that we had. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back with a price by becoming the curse, by satisfying the wrath. Here's the big question today. How many of you, you have replaced faith with works? Generally, it's very subtle. You walk away from church saying, okay, I went to church. It's that subtle. I gave today. Now God must love me. Subtle. I saw that homeless man on the street and I gave him some money. So God must approve of me. You've got it backwards. We're blessed to see you on a Sunday morning. Okay, so we're, we, we receive from even your backwards obedience. If you give, the church still spends the money on the stuff it needs. Okay, but what I want you to do is to quit pounding your head into the brick wall that is performing works to be loved by God because at the end of the day, your head starts to hurt. You can only do that and sustain that for so long before you are burnt out and no longer want to do anything or have anything to do with God because you've got it backwards. Let's get it back the right way. Identify where have you supplanted works for faith? Where have you taken your faith and moved it aside and put works in place? If I do this, then everything will be okay. I put it in very um, little kids' terms. If I do this, God won't be mad at me. Where have you done that? See, I don't, I, I don't walk with you every day of the, of the week. I don't know where that is. What works are you completing hoping that God will love you more? I will tell you, God couldn't possibly love you more. I can't describe to you the amount of love he has for you. Pastor Tony, I don't feel it. You know what? I'll be very honest with you. Sometimes I don't feel it either. 
most times I have I struggle with just being loved by God. Because you know what my mind says? Better pray for somebody. Better go serve somebody. Better go do this. Did I take care of this? Next thing you know, I'm thinking about the light bill. Next thing you know, I'm thinking about stuff at home. Next thing you know, I'm just I'm not even talking to God anymore. And it's a burden. It's heavy. It doesn't sound like the life God has for us in the Gospels. Where? Identify. Let's stand and pray. We're going to take up communion. You might be asking, okay, Pastor Tony, what do I do besides identify? I get it. I'm thinking of something already. This is where I, this is why I'm taking works and putting it in place of faith. But now what do I do? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Bob to come up. Roger, you can join him as well if you'd like. If you'd like. Um, play something altery. See, when you're the pastor, you get to make up words. Here's the gospel, Romans 5 and 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to take communion. Communion, we aren't believers in, uh, it's a big word, transubstantiation, I believe it is, where we believe that the bread and the wine become Jesus inside of us. It's not true. Um, These aren't magic crackers. It's not magic wine. It's actually grape juice. What we believe is that this reminds us of what Christ has done for us. And as we remember what Christ has done, we respond in worship. Here's what we do. First, we're going to surrender. That's a big word. Many of us aren't very good at surrendering. That's waving the white flag. That's putting your arms up. I surrender, Lord, to you. Not to the enemy, not to sin, not to the world, to Jesus. That's the first thing we do. We respond in worship by taking these elements and remembering the bruised and broken body of Jesus Christ. That bruised, broken body, symbolized by the wine, the shed blood, the cracker, the broken body, that was done for you and for me and for us. Jesus loved you enough to endure that so you would not have to. Repent. Going back to the law and getting things backwards. Many of us believe, oh, we repent and then we receive the grace of God. That's backwards. Today, the grace of God is extended to you so that you may repent. The grace is there. Will you repent? Will you turn away from religion? Will you turn away from the sin that you have committed and the sin committed against you? Here's what I know. I meet a lot of people in this area who have been taken advantage of sexually, physically. We read about in the paper daily. It happens a lot. And a lot of people hide it. And a lot of people are ashamed of it. And I'm here to tell you that God is here to even redeem that, to bring healing to you and then use you to heal other people. Wouldn't it be great to take something so dark in your life? And I don't say this lightly. Okay, I realize that this might come at a great price, but that one day, one day in the future, that maybe you could help somebody else in that place. 
God has redeemed that as well. And we can repent of the things done to us and the things that we've done as well, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. We all have reason to repent. I have reasons to repent. You have reasons to repent. The good Christians have reasons to repent. And then lastly, just be loved by God. There's a movie called Moulin Rouge. Big overarching theme of the movie is the greatest thing you'll ever know is just to love and to be loved. Or to be loved back, something like that. It's not scripture, so I don't memorize it. But the point is, is, is we get that we have to give, but we struggle with receiving. I want you to know that God loves you today. That God has nothing but love for those who are in Christ. It would be unjust for him to allow you to suffer for your sin when his son has already died as symbolized in these elements. Father God, we praise you. I'm praying that you would help all of us, Lord. None of us are worthy of your love. None of us are worthy of anything that you give to us, yet you count us worthy through your son, Jesus. That righteousness that's credited to us is the righteousness of your son, Jesus. He is good. He alone is good, and we worship him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.